Bill, please, please, please don't electrocute yourself. Like, can you just, can we wait an hour at least? You aren't the boss of me. So, artifacts here, right? I don't know if you've noticed, but in this little corner of the internet that we have carved out for ourselves, mm -hmm. there's like an epic love story brewing. It's this, like a tale of love between a hairsuit elderly Irish gent and a long deceased Frenchman of like arguably average height. I am referring to the love that Bill McGrath has for Napoleon. And it's it's a beautiful thing, Artifexia, but but it's delicate. It's delicate. Because in the last episode, I was really sad and hurt and perturbed. Because when I was editing the episode, Artifexia, Bill felt the need to put caveats and addendums and footnotes on his love of Napoleon. And like we can't let that stand, Artifexia. We can't. We have to we have to stand there with Bill in support of him and say, Bill, it is okay to fully embrace your love of Napoleon and to fully, fully appreciate your Bonapartism in its like raw, unadulterated form. So we have to support Bill. And now you might think to yourself, well, I wish we could just support Bill by like commenting on Reddit and tell him, yay, Napoleon. But there's a better way to support Bill. I think you all should go into the show notes and you should click the link marked Bill Polian wallpapers to find a fully comprehensive pack of wallpapers for like your phones, your, your tablets, your laptops, your desktops, your TVs, everything. All Bill and Bill Polian inspired artwork. Put them on your devices in support of Bill and then take a screenshot. Take a picture of you holding your phone and then relentlessly tweet it at Bill. I'll leave links in the show notes to do this. Do it, Artifexia. We, we, gotta, we gotta make sure Bill understands that Bonapartism is totally cool, totally accepted, no caveats, no addendums. Go to the show notes, download wallpapers, put them on your devices, tweet at Bill. <laughs> Links in the show notes. Do you want to see the wallpapers? I do want to see the wallpapers, but first I've got two points to make. You got two points. Are you going to caveat an addendum? No. Okay, okay, go for it. I'm going to correct two misconceptions you seem to have. Misconceptions? Bill, I'm horrified. Okay, what are my misconceptions? I'm not elderly. You re-established this in the last show. You are older than me, ergo you are elderly. Edgar, I'm not yet 30. <laughs> I think the fact that you phrase it, I am not yet 30, kind of adds a couple of years onto your age. Okay, Napoleon wasn't French. Oh, he was. He's not French. No. Oh, that ruins everything. What? What nationality was Napoleon? He's from Corsica. But but Corsica is France, is it not? Only around the time of Napoleon's birth, he would have grown up speaking Italian. He didn't speak very good French. He had a, he had a very thick accent. Oh my God! That 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 literally changes everything. This is this may have rendered the wallpapers invalid. <laughs> I mean, like, okay, we're, like, we're talking about, like, the, the era of the creation of nationalism, and so it's, it's a complex issue, and, you know, identity is always a difficult one to discuss, but you could, you could make a case that he himself wasn't actually French. You can definitely make a case there. I really should have done research on Napoleon before making these wallpapers. 
Do you want to open up the wallpapers there and tell me if they're ridiculously historically inaccurate? Send send them to yeah, send them to me on Skype there. Or a whole Google Drive of them. Oh, there's a lot of wallpapers, Bill. <laughs> oh joy. Oh my. Oh, is that a good oh my or a bad oh my? It's a bad oh my. Aww, why is it a bad oh my? How? Subfolders within subfolders. What's going on here? <laughs> Wait, uh, that's your bad oh my. Uh, oh, I quite like these little Twitter ones. Okay. Oh dear. <laughs> there really are very many. I want unilateral coverage. I want every device to have a wallpaper. Every aspect ratio needs to have a Bill Polian wallpaper. Okay, I've got a criticism here. Hmm, criticize away. So what exactly is, is the facial hair meant to be? Is that meant to be me? Yeah, the, the facial hair is meant to be you. But I know you're going to say, but Edgar, I have a full beard. Drawing yeah, full beards soul patch. was just... It was just it was just a bit difficult, and I know you like your mustache, so I made sure to have a mustache. And then the the soul patch was just kind of French, so I was like, eh, it looks kind of French to me. I'm going to keep a soul patch. And okay. then I couldn't have a bare face, Bill, because Bill doesn't have a bare face. So I was like, mm, I can't make a beard. The beard looks weird. So I just gave you stubble. I genuinely thought you meant a bare face, as in hairy like a bear. For for like no, as in the like, other bear. For like two seconds, I, I thought I genuinely thought you meant like hairy as a bear. Why? Why is he giving me the face of a bear? This is strange. I think it would suit me. But yeah, it's meant to be you. Do you not see the... I kind of see a resemblance. Do you see a resemblance? No. But I approve of, hmm. of the... Of, of the overall uh, endeavour. And so that's a little French flag that he's carrying. Nope. Secret Easter egg. It's not exactly a French flag. It's, is it a blend of the French and Irish flags? Because the colours are kind of funny looking. Is it the proportions of the French naval jack? Well played. It's the proportions of the French naval jack. Yeah, because it's not it's not a totally even tricolor. Exactly. And with 50% French colours and 50% Irish colours. Because it's to symbolize your love of Napoleon, man. It's okay. Like well this this epic union, this love story that spans ages. <laughs> in in that case, the uh the like the, the French thing is fine because that would have been the flag of the Napoleonic Republic or of the Napoleonic Empire I'm pretty sure I'm glad that my piss take is historically accurate well I mean <laughs> come on Edgar it's us it would, or it's me at least like it wouldn't it wouldn't be as, it would be less funny if it wasn't historically accurate let's be realistic <laughs> but yeah so everyone if you can download download the wallpapers take screenshots and then tweet them at Bill uh, maybe use the hashtag Bill Polian. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> show your sport because we can't. We can't let Bill, you know, put caveats on his Bonapartism. That's not cool. Like we have to be like Bill. No, no, no. You dig Napoleon, and it is okay, Bill. It is okay to dig Napoleon. I'm here in support of you with this uh, flat design Bill Polian. Thanks, Edgar. It means a lot. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, so they're in the show notes. Go check them out if you want. But this is not why we are here today, Artifexia. We are here a mere eight days after having released the last podcast. We're recording again because something epic has happened. And that is the new Star Trek TV series is out. We have Star Trek on TV, in inverted commas, uh, once again. And 
we want to talk about it because, quite frankly, I would never let this occasion pass without having to record a podcast. Um, and I dragged Bill into it, and Bill obliged, which is awesome. Despite my being exceptionally tired, I felt it was very important to to have a have a go at this because it's a pretty big event. For various reasons, Artifexia, Bill is, like he said, tired because he was around the place and had social events and things like that. That So he's not at 100%. <laughs> Thrusters are operating at less than 50% capacity, Captain. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice one. <laughs> um, so what's called? Uh, how do we go about this? I think the best way of uh, talking about Discovery, Star Trek Discovery, is to uh, maybe outline just on a macro level what we thought about the thing. And then break it down into all its nerdiness and pick it apart. Okay, well, will will we start off by just asking the big question outright? There's a big question? Yeah. Okay, what's the big question? Did you like it? Oh, that's the big (laughs) question. The question I literally called for it. I'm like, what question? (laughs) What question could this be? (laughs) Did I like it? I, I did like it. Um, I feel like if it wasn't Star Trek, I mightn't have liked it um, because I will watch all Trek, even if it's bad. Um, But overall, yeah, it was fine. There's loads of things in it that I am sad they haven't included and seems like they won't include. Um, But it's Trek on telly again and I could not be happier. What about you? I liked it. Like unadulterated liking, just, yeah. Great. No caveats, no nothing. No, just, not not, not unadulterated. I mean, there's very few things I like completely unadulterated, but I watched it and I enjoyed both episodes and I thought it was good and I'm looking forward to seeing more. So am I. I'm, I am looking forward to seeing more, which is great. Um, some With some of the first episodes of Trek, uh, that wasn't the experience. Like certainly mm. after uh, the Next Generation one, which was kind of weird, uh, I was kind of like... Really? This this is this is the new trek, but this one's exciting, so so I like it. Now, I have so so many notes. Uh so if you do you want me to go through these one at a time? Do you want to go through yours? What's the modus operandi? Uh let's Okay, Let, let's kinda play it by ear. Let's do this kind of loosely. Uh first thing I'm gonna say, okay, so obviously for anyone spoilers are going to be a part of this. So if oh, yeah. you don't want to be spoiled, go and watch the show and then listen to us. Um, it, The very first thing we see in the series, if I'm not mistaken, in the, the first episode, are Klingons. Yeah, we need to talk about the Klingons. Yeah, new Klingons, a, new, a totally new design of Klingons, unlike any of the Klingons we've seen before, um, which I thought was cool to open it with a with Klingons rather than with uh, any Starfleet or Federation people. Um, and one of the bonuses, because it's it's a Netflix-produced show, and uh, as such is viewed through that uh, service, and one of the, the bonus things is you can watch the show with Klingon <laughs> subtitles. Isn't it amazing? And I, I thought that was brilliant. I, I learned, I picked up a couple of words and I noticed some interesting things because I watched the first episode today with Klingon subtitles. Um, Hov is the word for star. Oh. H-O-V, oh. as far as I can tell. If you pay attention, you can actually pick up quite a bit of, of, what, they are, of what they're saying. 
or of like what things translate as. Huh. Hove is the word for star. I think so. Cool. I think it's a capital H O V in the transliteration system. I think having the Klingon sub- subtitles was a good move. It's a cool move. Like, it's something us nerds are going to appreciate. And the yeah. fact that it's optional as well is kind of good. If they default like that, that would be bad. Yeah. But I put it on today because uh, I'd seen the episode before and I put it on and watched it with Klingon subtitles today. And then I kind of I, I spaced out for a little bit. Um, and I, I was watching one of the scenes that was all Klingons speaking in Klingon. And after a couple of minutes, I realized I didn't know what was happening because they were speaking in Klingon with Klingon subtitles. So I had to go back several minutes and be like, oh, wait, yeah, I'm supposed to know what's happening here. <laughs> I, you, know those pe- you know where there's people who um, learn new languages uh, just by watching like English television, like foreigners will learn English through English television. Right. Um, I wonder how many people will come out of this Discovery series uh, being fluent in, in um in Klingon, just by the, the virtue of the subtitles and the massive amount of Klingon there seems to be. That would be hilarious. I would hope many. Maybe it's all a secret ploy to boost, like, the Klingon literacy around the world. Maybe they're trying to kind of set up Klingon as an uh, international auxiliary language. Because it's, it's, a, it's, a totally, it's a totally invented language, and it's not like, genetically related to any existing one. Like, Esperanto was meant to be a, an auxiliary language, but it's actually, you know, it's it's essentially just a load of Indo-European stuff put together, and mainly Romance and Germanic at that. Uh, so all of the auxiliary languages have kind of problems like that. I think Volapuk does as well. So maybe why not use Klingon? You know, it's, it's going to be equally <laughs> difficult for everyone to learn. <laughs> Wait, but isn't it kind of like, in a good auxiliary language, you want to include sounds that a large group of people can produce and all of those like guttural sounds are really difficult to produce like like that's not easy (laughs) okay yeah but that makes it equally difficult for everyone so it's fair at least everyone loses so it's fair i think you're on the payroll of the klingon council (laughs) shut up (laughs) um (laughs) did you know the irish language word for klingon is actually a lot closer to the Klingon word for Klingon than Klingon is. Get out. Yeah. Huh, what's the Irish word for, for Klingon? Because well, the Klingons themselves, it's kind of a clangan, isn't it? It's like a T sound, they're kind of a tr sound, more than a K. Uh, it's it's Romanized as like, oh, I'm going to get it wrong, but I think it's something like uh, apostrophe TH. Uh, and then Ingon or whatever. But it, yeah, it's it's not straight Klingon. Yeah, but in in Irish, it's like Klingonus is the name of the language. I don't, I don't know what the name of the people is, um, but it's yeah, Klingonus. So that's like, it's kind of a T sound. So it's a little bit closer to the, the way the Klingons themselves pronounce their own name. That's epic. That's that really cool. I like it. We have one one nerd in the Gale Tuck who's like, no, no, we have to get this correct. <laughs> uh, the Gale Tuck, uh, we should explain for uh, non-Irish listeners, are areas of Ireland in which the Irish language is actively being spoken and conserved. Yeah. Um, and it's they're dwindling areas. They're very, very small. Yeah. Um, and I, I believe getting smaller all the time. I'm not sure. Uh, it has been the trend historically. I don't know what it's been like in recent years. 
Yeah, so uh, there is one nerd in one of those areas who is just kind of like, I like my trek, and we're going to do this correctly. <laughs> um, I know I know someone who, who has a family member who's on the board that comes up with new words for Irish, actually. I might ask her about that. Uh, yes, yeah, <laughs> do that. Follow up next time. That's amazing. <laughs> I love how you nonchalant. It was like, yeah, I just know someone in that position. Yeah, maybe, I guess. Of course, Bill. Do it. Um, but yeah, yeah, Klingon, right? So um, I am okay with the Klingon redesign because that's almost a bit of a Trek custom. <laughs> Every kind of generation of of Trek series has a new has a new Klingon design. Exactly, and we'll find some way of you know retroactively saying why they look different, like the mm-hmm. way they did in was it was a Deep Space? No, was it Deep Space Nine? No, it was in, um, what's the crap one? The crap trek. Um, the last one before Enterprise? One. Enterprise. Um, they had a whole thing about how the Klingon forehead became the Klingon forehead because it wasn't originally like that in the original series. And we'll, we'll find a way of backtracking from it. So that doesn't bother me too much. The two things that did bother me, I didn't like the like Egyptian aesthetic. That was weird. It was yeah. really like... Lots of sarcophaguses. Sarcophagus? Sarcophagi. Sarcophagi. Sarcophopodes. <laughs> <laughs> but there was loads of, yeah, there was loads of sarcophagi and it everything looked very golden, very like faux Egyptian. I didn't like that. I, I'm uh, a big fan of the DS9 portrayal of Klingons where everything's like, everything looks a bit like a dive bar. Kind of, yeah. Um, and it's all dark and dingy and there's smoke everywhere and everyone's angry and th- that was kind of cool. But this was super bright and glary and like riches. And it just seemed, that didn't gel about me. And also, the the Klingon speech sounds strange. It's It doesn't sound like the rest of it. It's, it's, it sounds really muffled and um, a bit too over-enunciated, like very staccato. And mm. I get that Klingon is staccato with all its glottal stops. But it's there's something different about this one than previous ones. This this in, this interpretation of Klingon speech. Um, so that was a bit jarring at the start. I kind of got around it after at the end. But the sarcophagi, not. I just didn't like that at all, really. That that bothers me less. I, I see what you're saying about the the aesthetic. Uh, Egyptian wouldn't have been what I would have thought of it. But it's it is quite ornate in a way. Um, uh, bear yeah. in, bear in mind though the the craft that we see the interior of is an ancient craft it's thousands of years old so that may be something to do with it um fair uh so so there's that and as regards the speech i mean it may just be uh the accent of uh tukuvma or was that what's the name tukuvma tukuvma yeah tukuvma and it might just be his accent he's the one we see speaking the most and you know accents change over hundreds of years so that doesn't that doesn't bother me as much as, like, a redesign does a little bit. Oh, does the redesign bother you? A, a little bit, yeah. I mean, not, like, I'm not, I'm not actually complain, complaining about it, but it it breaks my immersion, and it, it kind of, it, it like, it breaks my suspension of disbelief in, in small ways. Um. Yeah, it, it, there, certainly there is a point at the start where you're suddenly, where you're like, Oh yeah, new Klingons. This is weird, and then you kind of become used to it. So there is a there is a breaking point, um, but then really quickly afterwards, I hop back on the. Yeah. Uh, this always happens in Trek bandwagon, and then you're fine with it. Um, I do. I don't know. 
the the whole the fact that it's a prequel, I find it is is going to cause problems, and it always was going to, and it always will cause problems. It, it's it's just the, the nature of them, and the nature of like my suspension of disbelief that I'll I will be put off by things, and I'll it'll make me think of inconsistencies and and contradictions, and that that'll kind of just annoy me. Okay, well, this is hopping around a little bit in my notes, but you know we may as well do that if we're going free form. Um, yeah, the fact that it is a prequel bothers me as well. I wish people would stop making bloody prequels. Like, they really annoy me because I get that there's a um, a value to hearing how things came to be and yeah. seeing how things came to be. But ultimately, we know how they come to be. We know the end game. Um, so we lose that whole how is it going to finish and how are all the plot threads going to weave themselves back together again. Um, I kind of wish that people would just keep tacking on a, a more future events. Mm. Um, that was a huge criticism of the prequels, even before, like the Star Wars prequels, even before they came out. People were like, well, I mean, what is there to watch, really? We know that Darth Anakin becomes Darth Vader. Like, what's, yeah. you know, ultimately, we know what's going to happen. And like, that, why are we watching these things? And I feel the same way with this. It's kind of like we know how the Klingons and the Federation are going to ultimately interact. So why are we doing this again? Could we not just find a way of making an entirely new story just by setting it after the events uh, last last stopped? That so much, it doesn't actually bother me at all. Like, because I, I don't think it's, it's not so much about the destination, but it's about the journey. We, we see what happens along the way. And I find that quite interesting. And it's about the individual character arcs. Like I'm, I'm I'm really curious to see what happens with um, Commander Burnham. I think Commander Burnham's a pretty cool character, and I want to I want to see how her story plays out. Uh, what bothers me is why, for like for example, in Enterprise, how come they had all these races like that are new races in Enterprise, but like they were never heard of or seen in the ones like the the shows that were set further in the future. That that kind of thing annoys yeah. me. Like they invent all these people. To post to populate the the universe of Enterprise specifically with, um, but why weren't they there two hundred years later? That kind of that yeah, jars that... with me, and the fact that everything looks kind of a bit more slick and a bit more advanced than they it does in later seasons, like like chronologically later seasons of of Star Trek. That just kind of that puts me off of it. Yeah, that really took me out of it because I, when they mentioned the date, I was like, wait, what? When? And I checked up the chronology. It was like, this is before the original series. Like, Oh, before you the, the, watched it, you didn't realize it was a prequel? No, no, not at all. No, oh, I knew, I knew okay. hardly anything. All I knew is that some fan had written uh, a thing called Discovery, I think, and then it was bought by people. But then there was a whole whole big thing about was it cbs or whoever owned or paramount or whoever bought them were mucking with things and changing things and the last i left it was that everything's up in the air who knows what's going to happen we'll get one eventually so i didn't know it was a prequel up until the point that burnham mentioned the date and then i was like i need to check that date that sounds suspicious right um but yeah, yeah, it's kind of like their ship. Their ship is like more high tech than literally all of the other ships. And it happened before the original series. And I'm like, uh, how are we going to explain that away? I don't think we are, are we? No, we're not. 
Yeah, yeah. I was thinking we don't really see that much of the technology they use to, to decide whether it is more advanced or anything. But, I mean, that's all always up in the air in Star Trek anyway. Um, but I suppose the stuff that we see with the force fields is a little bit further than what we'd seen in, say, Next Generation. They don't have solograms yet, though, so there's that. No, they don't, they don't have, no. Uh, but I would argue way further. Like, it, everything is, the ships look more modern, the force fields look better. Just because it's a modern show, everything looks way more yeah. modern, way more streamlined, way more sick, uh, slick. And it that's weird for me. And again, yeah, it I takes think the me out whole of thing, yeah, the whole thing can be circumvented if we don't make a prequel. Mm. Like, don't make the prequel. Um, that's probably my largest criticism with the whole thing. It's like, why prequel? Um, might be the title of the episode. Why prequel? Can um, can you make an argument and be that like there's not many places to go after Voyager because like to 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 be credible uh, to to be like dramatically credible in and and kind of have a degree of of genuine threat in the narrative. You need someone to exceed the Borg. And they played the Borg pretty damn hard uh, through Next Generation and Voyager. They weren't as present in DS9, as I recall. Maybe they were. Um, so, but like, so, you know, yeah. what do you do then? What What do you do to, to keep amping up the, the tension and the... Well, okay, I, I would say, uh, one, I'm not a writer, mm-hmm. so I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but I think that if a load of legitimate writers get in a room and go... We, we've got nothing more, then Trek should end. You know? It's like, we have told what we can tell. Uh, we have come up with the, the most badass of aliens, and mm. we really, like, we crushed it with a, the story game. And if we're just going to make more Trek for the sake of making more Trek, maybe let's not. Yeah, that's, um, I think that's a bit of a false dichotomy, though, that it's either make sequels or... or anything else will be making it for the sake of making it. I mean, there's still interesting stories to be told between the series and as prequels and stuff. It's just that it does come with this extra price of being worse immersion. Yeah, no, I I agree. No, I I do agree with that. And like I said, there is some value in hearing how things came to be. Mm -hmm. It's just, I, I have a big problem with the fact of like, it causes a load of continuity errors, errors, and we do know how the Klingons end up in the end. Yeah. Um, so for me, it's not. I'm not saying it's a deal breaker. Like I'm going to watch the rest of of Discovery, um, but it's just a comment. You uh, you would prefer it to else. be otherwise. I would prefer to be. Mm-hmm. I would if someone gave me the option. One hundred percent of the time, I'm going to go with make something entirely new. Stick it on the end of the timeline. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe alternate alternate universe is another way of doing it. No, you know? no, <laughs> because there already there's already an alternate community, uh, an alternate continuity with the J.J. Abrams films. So I so. meant to ask about that, Bill. Yeah, are are these on the same timeline as the Abrams films, or are these on the main timeline? No, it's it's the prime prime universe. Although it won't, will it have diverged yet? I can't remember whether it has diverged. I'm not. Sure, I'm not sure what the point of divergence is. It's. 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 It's at Kirk's birth, actually. So it would have diverged. Uh, yeah, it would have diverged. Um, but no, it's. It's in. It's in the prime universe. I'm pretty sure. Well, that makes sense from a logistical point of view. Just keep 
keep all the TV shows in the one universe and keep the films in a different universe. Yeah, and I don't um, particularly like the films, so I'm glad to have them separate. The, uh, I think that is a, a weak sentiment. I think the films are absolute garbage. <laughs> I really, really dislike the films. Anyhow, so coming back to things a little bit here, right? So we had a, we had 38 minutes of Klingon, right? <laughs> I, have, I have one final point to make about the Klingon thing. Oh, oh, sorry, yeah, go for it. And then we're going to move on to the desert planet. Go yeah. for it. The Klingon uh, subtitles, as far as I could tell, they use different measurements. So uh, near the start where the, the Shenzhou finds like an object in the asteroid field and they can't quite see it, uh, one of the officers on the bridge says it's 2,000 kilometers away, something like that. And in the subtitles, there's a different figure. It's not 2,000. Um, it's I think it's actually Atha, it's 1,000. So when they're giving the, the Klingon translation, they're actually using Klingon units. That's smart. Yeah. Now, they don't do it for time. The time units stay the same, um, and dates and things are, are stay the same. But in, in some of the instances, it, it looked to me like they were using actual different uh, systems of measurement, different different units. Oh, the time would have been so much better, though. Because then we could we could be like, you know, Klingons have a different day length and we can start using artifacts in videos to make Klingon calendars. Yeah, and we can have that argument all over again. <laughs> Once again, every time I think of the calendars, I'm immediately kind of like, oh boy, do you remember that one time we destroyed an entire podcast? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so after we get the initial Klingons... Mm-hmm. Uh, we go to uh, the surface of a desert planet because do you know what doesn't happen in space films? Desert planets. <laughs> um, we, we go and we are introduced to the captain of uh, the new Enterprise. It's called the USS Shenzhou, I believe. Um, and we're, we're introduced to the captain and we're introduced to her first officer, uh, Commander, I believe, Burnham. Commander Burnham, um, yep. Now... I have, I have just, let me just blast through this in my entire list of the desert planet things and you tell me, pick up on things you want to discuss. Okay. Number one, the captain is not a good actor. I didn't like her. I thought she, her acting was n- not good. Um, I am sick to death of teal and orange in cinema. They need to stop. Everything is orange and light blue and it's just horrific. Please stop. Uh, okay. Other than that, I thought some of some of the vistas uh, were beautifully shot. Um, mm-hmm. Some of the like images of them going across sand dunes were wonderfully framed and just really ethically shot. Um, didn't like the name USS Shenzhou because everyone seems to pronounce it differently. You've pronounced it differently, and I'm not entirely sure if I'm correct on it either. Um, the practical effects for the aliens were always good. I enjoyed that, and then above all else. The walking around on the sand dunes, drawing out the logo of Star Trek with your uh, footfalls was idiotic. That was class. No, it was terrible, Bill. Why was it class? It was just really cool. Here's a big no, sign, and then like the the, the Shenzhou like flies yeah. away, and you see it revealed behind. That was a great moment. No, it was. T- it's like the ship can't pick us humans up but what it can pick up is our footprints like footprints 
Imagine you have a, like the oh yeah no it was it was it was it was like logically ridiculous but it was cool yeah oh oh yeah no when when the when it pans away and then you're kind of left with the symbol and you're like oh we're back in Trek world yeah that is great but like yeah logically it was just all over the shop and it's like I've left them a star and it's like whoa what are you on about that's the they've walked the logo into the sand you're like oh lads this is this is just a bit stupid and from that point I was kind of like. Oh no, are we going to do the stupidity of the movies now? Oh, this isn't good. Oh, please don't be silly wacky. Like, and again, I'm fine with, with when Trek does silly for an episode or two. That is cool. But please it's don't make it like the the movies, which are just kind of mm-hmm. wacky. And that's that's not cool. So those were my points there. Uh anything to comment? Um Desert Planet. Uh I liked the aliens on it, the Crepesculans. They were kind of cute. Well done remembering the name. Jesus. Uh, I remember because crepuscular, it means an animal that's active at sunrise and sunset as opposed to nocturnal or diurnal. Oh, interesting. Oh, yeah. that's a cool little naming convention. That's cool. Yeah. Um, and it yeah, would make sense like to said, have that on a desert planet because it would be really warm at, at the day and really cold at night. If they were active at like sunrise and sunset, they would be kind of, it would be more temperate. Uh, and this is what I mean about the practical effects. The practical effects on the aliens were great. Mm-hmm. It was really, really good. Like when we get that alien coming out of the water, the water well, yeah. I was like, that's, that is cool looking. It's not just CG. Great. Well done, lads. Good call. Uh, I liked uh, how they, they noted the existence of the prime directive, but it was, it was given by a different name. It was like standing order one or something. Um, mm-hmm. cause I was kind of thinking the first time I watched it, is that not like, are they kind of not messing with the prime directive a wee bit there? Um, because I, I misunderstood the, the precise thing of the prime directive. Uh, but I, yeah, I thought, I thought that was quite cool. The prime directive is, is frequently messed with in the Trek, uh, TV series. Yeah. But I think if you're going to mess with it, it should be like the topic of an episode, not just like casually the first thing yeah. that the first Starfleet officers we see do. <laughs> Yeah, but I suppose giving it a precursor name is a cool thing. Like, it hasn't been fully solidified yet or whatever. Yeah. Um, what else about the Desert Planet? Uh, I think I think that was it. The, yeah, the, the Shenju, I just looked it up here, is actually uh, the name of the manned spacecraft used by the Chinese at the moment. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. I still, I still don't like it. I still don't like it. Well, uh, maybe because I don't speak Chinese. Maybe Shenju means something like Voyager or Divine uh, Craft, Enterprise. Divine Vessel of God, Magic Boat, something like that. Yeah, you see, now I don't like that. I, I Maybe I'm a traditionist here, but I want my enterprises to like hard bake some sort of like uh, humanist meanings into the name. Like the idea of like Voyager, we're going out to discover. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's I don't particularly like these religious connotations uh, in saying that like one of my favorite parts of DS9 was all the religion stuff so um, I don't entirely have a consistent opinion here There's something yeah. about Shenzhou just was kind of like I, I don't I don't I don't like it I want and it to be like discovery I want it to be discovery yeah that, the that USS would be discovery that's what I want well you know that's exactly what I want may, like the Shenzhou lasts for two episodes so Maybe the next ship that she's on will be the Discovery. 
well, we need to talk about what happens to Burnham at the end. It's at the end of my list. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so we have Desert Planet. Uh, anything else to add, or should I? Can I crack on to my next point? Uh. No, I think I think that's it. Uh, do, yeah, I like the Crepusculans. Um, I like the design. They were kind of they were kind of like ugly, cute. Um, <laughs> like ugly. Yeah, but like ugly, cute, like like a weird like mollusk or something. They were cool. Um, yeah, 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 that, yeah. That, that's it for the Desert Planet. Moving on. So then we have intro credits. Mm-hmm. Uh, v- very briefly here, I, I really like them. Again, it was still a little bit too much of orange and blue, which again, just, just to emphasize, I'm getting sick of. But I like the whole drawing board thing. Yeah. Um, they, were, they were really, really solid credits. And there's been some really crap credits in Trek. And I'm glad they pulled this out of the bag. So that was good. I, I liked the sequence visually. I didn't like the theme music. I don't even remember the theme music. Well, there we which go. Speaks volumes. That well, also that it didn't offend me as well. Like I'm fine with intro music being just run of the mill. Yeah. Um. That that's okay as long as we don't get Rod Stewart or Rod Stewart like voice pumping out a power ballad. I'm pretty much okay. I'd be I'd be okay with that. Have you ever seen the 1990s Three Musketeers film? With like oh, with Kiefer Sutherland, Oliver Platt, uh, Charlie Sheen, and the guy who was Robin in the Batman films in the nineties. I can't remember his name. Is is the bad guy uh, Tim Curry? The bad, yeah. Richelieu is played by Tim Curry. Yeah, I have seen these. I didn't even realize that uh, Charlie Sheen was in them. Yeah, he's he's one of the Musketeers, I think. Hmm. Um, the theme song for that is a power ballad sung by. Brian Adams, Rod Stewart, and Michael Bolton. No! It's called All for Love. It's amazing. No! It's the best. It is just like the power balladist of power ballads. It's it's stunning. It's so good. <laughs> no, I, I, this is one of those times where I'm like, is he being serious? It's I don't class. Know <laughs> is it really power oh sure you like power ballads like you love your man with the face what's his what's his name uh seal you love that song he has which is just horrible um, kiss from a rose kiss from a rose how are we friends i don't i sometimes i'm like bill and i are very very different people i don't know i find kiss from a rose just the schmaltziest it's not like, schmaltzy at all i baby I can use a shut up seal. There's no, there's no schmaltz whatsoever. Baby, I could use a kiss from a rose. It's like all like like you know, if so, if you were to sit a kindergarten around and be like, what do you think love is? And it's like kissing and, and roses. No, but you've and got the whole. No, it's the wrong way around. It's it's kind of sinister as well. Like there's a kind of a, there's kind of a, a a kind of a darker undercurrent to it. It's not. It's not. You're German. You should understand schmaltz. <laughs> I tell you, like, you're German, you should understand emotion. And I was like, uh, <laughs> Bill. I don't know if that's entirely the case. Oh, on a really, really quick tangent, right? Yeah. Uh, I said that we wouldn't do, I don't think I actually told you this, but we kind of just didn't do follow-up because this isn't a real episode. Yeah, no, we said we said this in, uh, in like, our, like, arranging text, yeah. Right, so this, so this is a point for these episodes, so we aren't going to do follow-up. But I just want to touch on something really quickly, just because it relates to what you just said. Um, I was having, I had a very long talk 
with Sid Naff about Undertale. Yeah. And why I am wrong about Undertale. And a thought occurs to me. I might be a sociopath. I think this is why I didn't like Undertale. Because he was just like this, the, talking me through and being like, yeah, but you see, you you relate to, to this character and you empathize with this character. And in doing so, this makes this bit more relevant. And I'm like, I don't empathize with anyone. <laughs> in the game. I've never come out of- in the game, but I've never come out like feeling more like, Jesus, do I actually have the capacity to care? Because I was like, I feel nothing for anyone here. Like, what are you talking about? Like, I couldn't even like wrap my head around the concept of you feel for the pixels. And then it's like, yes. And I'm like, how is this occurring? <laughs> and it's just weird. And then like, same thing, we, we covered books and movies. And I'm like, yeah, I don't emote. At, at movies, I'm like, oh, that's a really interesting, cool plot line. I think it's great skill, how they executed it. But I don't emote. And then I thought to myself, ah, I'm German. That's why. <laughs> uh, possibly. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think it makes you sociopath to, to not, like, engage with fictional characters. Yeah, no, I'm not actually sociopath. Yeah. That was be- me being hyperbolic. And I also, I also don't think that uh, German people are incapable of emoting. Uh I just get to say these things because you know you're always allowed to slag your uh, your own kind. Um, <laughs> so I get I get to ruthlessly tear into Germans and feel a okay about it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, yeah. So intro credits. Yeah, I don't think there's much to say there other than they're good. And you bring up the point about the music, which I'm going to listen to afterwards. See whether or not I agree. Yeah. Um, and then go listen to All for Love by Rod Stewart, Brian Adams, and Michael Bolton. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> God, it sounds horrific. I mean, so uh, yeah, totally, are... totally. Yeah, wait, no, you were being, you were joking earlier. No, it's great. Like, <laughs> what are you talking about? Is he, is it great or is it horrific? Like, which yes, one is it? Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, Bill, never change. <laughs> Anyhow, so we. We are, we, uh, after the intro, we are on the USS uh, Shenzhou, and it's the Klingon first contact thing. Uh, first thing I realized here, Bill, was the uniforms. Mm-hmm. The uniforms are okay. Yeah, I like them. They don't look like pajamas, <laughs> which is not something that happens in Trek very often, which I liked. Um, the shade of blue was a bit weird. I didn't like the shade of blue, but like overall, the design the design is quite good. Mm-hmm. Uh, then the next thing I noticed, uh, which I've I've huge problems with, there was a robot on the bridge. We don't know that. There was something that looked like a robot. Yeah, on the bridge, Daft Punk. Da- Daft Punk. There's, that's there's yeah, a Commander mem- Daft Punk. There's a member of Daft Punk on the bridge. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, if this person. Or if this uh, object turns out to be a uh, robot, uh, I don't like it. Yeah. I don't like it. I, I think no, she's no probably good. dead the, anyway, though, so it's fine. Oh, yeah, that's fair. Uh, that is fair. But it still sets the precedent that there are robots in Trek that aren't like humans. Yeah, when there shouldn't be for uh, like another kind of 180 years or something. Not that long. Uh, 60 years or something. And it's always been the case that like, 
Star Wars is robot-tastic mm-hmm. and Trek is low robot. Yeah. Um, robot light. And I, Robot light. And I like that. I like that about Trek. And now I'm like, please don't litter universe with robots because you're just going to have to retcon everything and... It's not going to work, lad. So I was, I was very, I was a bit shocked at that, and I was like, no, no, this is not good. Um, now, what else? Uh, oh, speaking of good design choices, the, the the spacesuits were really good when Byrne wore the spacesuit. I loved the spacesuit design. Yeah. I also loved her heads up display on the on the spacesuit. Yeah, Great. that was cool. That was Re- cool. Really good. I liked that it was actually quite like spacey, as in they actually like had to go and do a spacewalk rather than it just being on ships and on planets. That's the thing you don't get all that often in Trek. Um, there's yeah. there's a yeah. little bit in, is it in First Contact, where they do a, a walk on the outside of a vessel? In one of the films, anyway, one of the Next Generation films. Um, but otherwise, you don't get it much. And I was like, yeah, that's cool. It's good to see. I've watched, I've watched one uh, Trek movie. Is that all? And it's the, yeah, it's the very first one. And I was like, whoa, this is not good. This is not good. And then I stopped. Um, some, of, some of the Next Generation ones are quite good, I think. I hear there's a couple. What's the thing? Is it all... We, we don't speak of the even ones? Yeah, I think it's the odd-numbered ones are meant to be the good ones. But I think Nemesis is an exception. I don't know. I haven't watched it. Uh, because since the traumatic experience of that first one, I'm like, do you know what? It's already enough to be able to, to want to watch all the Trek uh, I don't need to put myself through watching all the movies as well. And I'm never going to complete it because those new movies are stupid. <laughs> I'm, and I look like, I just, oh, I, just, I could spend the entire podcast talking about those new movies. I hate them. But I can file them away in my brain being like, look, new continuity, different track for different people. That's fine. Um, as long as they don't bleed over into this. Uh, now, let me see. What else? Uh, first time seeing a Klingon in a spacesuit, I believe? Uh, perhaps, yeah. That was that was uh, st- struck me as kind of weird. Uh, like, in a good way. I thought it was kind of cool. They had this fight in spacesuits. And that was kind of cool. Um, the other thing on top of it is Burnham's name. Okay. Uh, her first name is Michael. How do we feel about this, Bill? Literally don't care. Literally don't care. Okay, so I, I did care, uh, purely because I was just, I was just taken aback. I was kind of like, what? Why? What's happening here? And then I was like, oh, maybe she's called like like Michael, like M I K O L or something like that. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, then I googled, and it was actually literally Michael. And mm-hmm. I was like, I I don't like it. It's I don't know. It just. It doesn't gel with me. But then I learned uh, from Hello Internet, uh, a podcast that was recently released, that apparently there's a trend with names in that over time, uh, the trend is that male names will tend towards gender neutral and then tend towards exclusive female. Um, But the reverse is not true. Exclusive females' names rarely tend towards males. Is this consistent across languages and cultures, or is it like an an English language phenomenon? That caveat wasn't put on it, so I don't know. Mm. Let's assume that's an English thing, so in the English-speaking world. So then I was kind of like, oh, that's really interesting. Maybe Michael in the distant future has gone through this shift, and it's become a female exclusive or or gender neutral. And then I was kind of like, that's kind of interesting, but my brain was still kind of like, 
every time I heard Michael, I thought of uh, a parent whose child I used to teach back home called Michael. And it was just really jarring to me. And I shouldn't really have a problem with this because, you know, names don't really mean anything. But yeah. it was kind of like, why? I did a bit of digging as well. And apparently the person responsible has a, that's his uh, go-to thing. His female characters rare, uh, nearly always get male names. Yeah, I, th- um, I read something similar as well. And it, it is becoming like, they're, they're kind of reasonably... Not common, but it's seen and known as a, a woman's name. So, is Michael really? Yeah, there's there's like a couple of, kind of somewhat prominent people in, in the United States, women who have the name Michael. There were like two or three examples really? in this one article I read. Yeah, yeah, but like I just I would never like care about that because it's just it, they change around so much anyway. Like a hundred years ago, Evelyn was a man's name. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. So. Um... Yeah, totally. Uh, I just, yeah, I was taken aback at first because not taken aback is strong. I taught yeah. that one parent. Like it, it kind of, it, like, it, Michael. It, it, it stuck out a little bit at first. And I was thinking that I was hearing it wrong, but then I was like, no, that is her name. And then I just was like, okay, moving on. Right. Yeah. After a while, it just it suddenly just, I linked her to that name and was like, yeah, now we're fine. Mm-hmm. But there was a period of time at the start was like, what's going on? Mm-hmm. Why is this happening? Am I hearing it wrong? What's happening? And then Googling and... And that happened, but uh, so it's not it's not a big deal or anything, yeah. but just something that stuck out at first. I wanted to to bring up something um, that took me a little bit out of the episode on my second mm-hmm. <clears throat> on my my second uh, watch through today. Uh, the the first scene where they're back on the Shenzhou, uh, and it's the the first officer's log, and they're saying, "Oh yeah, we're mm-hmm. we're, we're at the wherever this binary system." Um, I'm looking at the accretion disk, and this is where the planets will form out of the the dust and rocks surrounding these stars that future generations will one day inhabit. Some line like that, and I was just mm-hmm. like, "Well, that's a bit weird." Like, if they were, you know, if you were like a, a a military commander or something on land, and you go to a beach, you don't like describe what a beach is in your report like uh, on on my rewatch that kind of took me out of it it's like you don't describe like normal stuff just in your daily reports (laughs) it's cloudy today yeah clouds are when you know water vapor condenses (laughs) high in the atmosphere yeah I just I just I didn't like it yeah no I I agree with that bit I see why it is there for the sake of like exposition and and setting the scene and stuff, yeah. Yeah, but I fully concur. Like, it is a bit silly to be like to describe the clouds, as you put it. Um, Burnham's backstory is cool. I like Burnham's backstory. Yeah. I think she's a cool, cool take on having like a Vulcan first officer. Yeah. She's like a human Vulcan first officer and more human than Spock was. And we, we have a link into the existing cast of. Uh, you know, established Star Trek characters through her. So, because mm-hmm. uh, Sarek is her mentor. Yeah, Sarek was really well cast. Um, I had to be like, wait a minute, is he still alive? Is <laughs> Sarek still alive? And like, he's not, obviously, but they just, they did a really good job casting. He looks very, very like your man. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I liked that. Now, let me see, what else is on this? I have loads of things like, red alert, yes. <laughs> 
And every, every time a like Trek institution came along, like Red Alert or Cloaking Device or Live Long and Prosper, my notes just say, yes! <laughs> I'm so happy to hear them on TV again. Um, <clears throat> into Act 2 now. What do we think of the white Klingon? Uh, no strong feelings. I didn't think much about him. Could be a cool character. Really? Yeah. Huh. Should I have? I mean, I, th- I think this is the first time we have a Klingon that it hasn't got dark skin. I just like figured he was like an albino or something. Yeah, no, obviously. Oh, yeah, no, totally. Uh, but like, I like this idea of like the runt. Uh, he seems to be kind of like shunned for this and seems to be seen as a kind of weirdo. Um, yeah. And now he will be the torchbearer, I suppose, after the after events unfold. I yeah. think that's pretty cool. And it like, there was a moment of Trek philosophy, not philosophy, but like social commentary there where Takuvma goes to the guy and it's like, I don't see the color of your skin. I see the strength of your heart or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I enjoyed because it's like, oh good, we're not just going to do space battles and walking Star Trek logos into sand dunes. We're actually going to spend a little bit of time talking about uh, issues in the real world. So I think it was cool that they brought up a little bit of race there. Yeah. Um, because it's like it's like Trek to do this, to, to tackle issues like this. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was really great. And the fact it was coming from Klingons as well was kind of a neat little take because usually it's Picard. Yeah. It was all like, you know... Um, future thinking and stuff like that so uh i like that and um, I, I like seeing a, a subtlety and a complexity like that within within the klingons um sorry i guess i'm just repeating what you said sorry <laughs> but uh, yeah i thought i thought no, it was no. i thought it was cool to, to ha- see kind of a, a diversity within one of the alien species i guess is, is the thing because they're they're often quite monolithic and yeah homogenous yeah exactly um, if they're going to treat humans like that, like every enterprise always has, you know, a diverse cast, diverse races. Um, let's also make the aliens a bit diverse. Yeah. And the Klingons are well enough established that we know a Klingon when we see a Klingon, even if their skin color is different or if they're small or, or I don't know, whatever. Radically redesigned. <laughs> yeah. Even with the radical redesign, we're kind of like, oh yeah, they're the Klingons. Um, like I fully see how when you introduce a new uh, alien race you kind of want them to be the same so we can always be like oh that's that alien race but the Klingons are so established that we can play with them and it's good that they've started to play with them yeah um, what else uh, stop me at any time when you're like Edgar I have something to talk about because again I can go on for days um, there's one bit that kind of annoyed me at the start of the second episode go for it um, so as we've established uh, Michael Burnham was educated by the Klingons and is culturally very, very Klingon, as we see from her backstory when she first joined Starfleet. And there's a little bit of a kind of a tension in, in the, particularly the second episode about her human emotion versus her Klingon training. And Vulcan that, that, training. Sorry, versus her Vulcan training. And that kind of drives a lot of the events. Um, but after the, the beacon is lit, and 24 ships, 24 Klingon ships arrive uh, where they are. And Burnham turns to the captain and says, 24 ships, the Klingon council consists of 24 houses. That can't be a coincidence. Yeah, it can. Like, you're supposed to be trained in logic. Of course it could be a bloody coincidence. What a ridiculous <laughs> thing to say. What an utterly 
utterly ridiculous assertion to make. Even like even if she's like been overtaken by human emotion and uh, and all that, it just that really annoyed me as like someone who is. And you know, sure, maybe that's the point that like she's lost her her logic. Um, but I mean, that's that's a ridiculous thing to say. Of course, it could be a bloody coincidence. If you met fifty Americans, you wouldn't assume like there was one from each state. <laughs> really? Is that not what you happen when you see Americans? No. N- no, it isn't, Edgar. Oh no. Okay. <laughs> uh, no, I I get that, and it's she's purely saying that so the audience can be like, "Oh, I see what's going on. The Klingon High Council has arrived." Like, I get the, the utility of it, but yes, it sounds ridiculous. Yeah, but you, you could write that in a much better way. Like, you you could you could impart that information. In a way less absurd <laughs> way. Yeah, agreed, agreed. But at that point in the story, we were in battle mode. And I think I, I well, my notes say uh, something to this effect. Yeah, I was kind of like, oh no, we're going to be fighting from here on in and everything else is going to suffer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that kind of sort of was the case. I was like, it's just about getting lots of fighting happening at this stage. Did you think it was too action-y? Yes, I did. Okay. I did. Because my note here says for, for episode two, T minus 28 minutes. Is is it going to be a battle from here on in? And then further down, yes, it is going to be a battle from here on in. <laughs> um, so we had 20 minutes of nearly uninterrupted fighting. Um, so that, that I didn't like. Because again, I think some of the greatest Star Trek episodes are the one where, ones where there are no fighting at all. Sure. Um, like the Darmok episode is frequently seen as being one of the best Trek. And that's literally about people trying to understand one another and like talking through metaphors and trying to like cross species, uh, do cross species communication. And that's glorious. And I think only, only Trek does that. And yeah. I don't want to see Trek devolve into an action movie. And this is why I asked you earlier, is this JJ Abrams related? Cause it felt towards the end very much like, Oh, it's just action. Yeah, I I didn't think it was too actually because I mean it's it's a little bit more so. But if if you look at say Encounter at Farpoint, that's quite gripping. There's quite a lot of action in that. You know, the very first episode of of Next Generation. Yeah, and I think as like an establishing first episode, I think it kind of worked. As in the Next Generation one worked, or this one? This one worked. This one worked too. Yeah, again, it's more trepidation going forward. Like, if we're going to have fights in every episode, then we have a problem. Yeah, sure, um, sure. But I, I don't think that's necessarily the case. I don't think we've we've reason yet to worry about that because, as I said, Encounter at Farpoint had a lot of, like, action kind of stuff in it. And, you know. And there was a lot of combat uh, not- in, in, in Trek as well, in fairness. Like, you know, Worf was frequently getting into scrapes. Tasha Yar was frequently getting into scrapes. <laughs> oh, man. Tasha Yar... Tasha Yar's death was one of, like, just, what were they doing? <laughs> just, oh, it was terrible. Like, you know the way it's, it's almost as bad as had she, you know, had they just had the episode and uh, someone goes, where's Natasha Yar? And someone goes, she died last night of sudden adult death syndrome. And everyone's like, oh, okay. It was almost that, like, un, like almost no celebration to it. It's just kind of like, she dies suddenly and you're like, is she, is she dead? She's dead. Huh. That was disappointing. And then you're like, maybe she'll come back. Nope. She just literally was dead. It was a terrible death. Uh, jumping back to the first episode a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think of the, the pink guy? 
Saru. He was kind of fun. Yeah, he was a little bit annoying. Uh, a little bit too like, oh, every time he speaks, he's going to say something about like, oh, we shouldn't do that. No, yeah. I'm, I'm agoraphobic. No, no, please don't do that. It was a little bit heavy handed, but there was a cool bit of backstory about how he was genetically bred to be the hunted. Well, no, I don't think he was genetically bred to be. It was just that was the way his species evolved. No, no, he said we were bred to. Did he? Yeah, yeah, he said that there's two there's two species on his home world, and his species were the ones that were be uh, were genetically bred to be the hunted. Oh, I I thought he had said they just evolved that way. Okay. No, no, genetically bred. Yeah, yeah, and that made me kind of sympathize more with him a little bit because I was kind of like, oh, you can't just turn this off. This has been hard coded into your into your like uh, data, and yeah, it's yeah that that it was. It was better that way, but still at times I was like, just stop, you're meant to be an officer. Surely you would have went through, like, combat training. Shh, it's okay, just press the button for the missile, it's cool. Um, but yeah, so and I thought I thought his prosthetics were really good. He makes a believable alien, which is nice. Yeah, I liked him, he was very tall as well, and you didn't notice it at first because he was sitting down. That was fun. Yeah, and he's, he seems really gangly as well, like almost inhuman proportions. Um, well, he is inhuman. <laughs> well, he is technically. I'm, I'm assuming the guy who plays him is thoroughly human. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Now, holograms. Can I talk about holograms? Yeah. Any thoughts on the holograms? Only now that you mention it. How come they didn't have those like in later episodes? Back to the prequel problem. Later series, rather. Yeah. So we go back to the prequel problem. Otherwise, no, not especially. I mean, I thought it was kind of weird that I... Uh, <laughs> I, I didn't buy the, the interference and the way they uh, portrayed, like, signal loss and stuff, but, like, that's just, they're going to have to figure out a way to do that, and the way they did that was perfectly serviceable, so I didn't mind it. The thing that took me out of it a little bit was, like, these holograms have the ability to walk around. Yeah. And Sarek leans against the desk when he's talking to Burnham. Uh, yes! And I was like, wait, is he leaning on a desk back home? Yeah. So can he see everything that's happening in the room and just goes, I'll lean on this perfectly positioned desk here such that my image will be represented there? Or, like, can he control his hologram from back home and, like, digitally alter what it looks like? And if so, why invent that technology? Like, that seems, like, superfluous. Like, just have the hologram appear and deliver the message. The point here is communication, not like, do you know be really neat if my holographic avatar was able to squat in the corner? Yeah. It's like, what? No. It was really weird. I don't know. It's like, like with kind of video calling and, and, and stuff in general. Like, what if he was in the bath or something? Or it was, like, out in the garden? <laughs> <laughs> Like, <laughs> yeah, but it's the same. It's it's the same with normal calling. Like if you're out in the garden or in the bath, you don't pick up the call. Yeah, t- totally. But like, I, I don't know. Just, like because 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 you you see them like you you see them as they are. It's not even an avatar or anything. So if you want to be like available to to talk to people, you can't sit around in your pants all day at home. You have to actually get dressed and stuff. <laughs> I don't know about you, man, but if you ever tried to holographic video call me, I would be like. He's he's gonna have to see me in my sweatpants. I'm not putting on a suit and tie for this occasion. Ah, yeah, but Edgar, we lived together, so you know it's that that barrier was broken long ago. It was shattered long ago. 
Uh, but yeah, that was a bit weird with the holograms. It's not a big point. Like, I'm not like, oh, I hate this track because the holograms are a bit funky. Yeah, but it's it's another little niggle, that, like, because of the prequel problem. Yeah, exactly. Um, because, again, that would have been a great upgrade for a future series. Like, mm. we've improved our holographic technology, but when it's like a, a pre-grade, or whatever the correct word is, uh, it's just, it's it seems really weird. Um, my biggest problem with the whole thing, right was during that holographic scene where Sarek tells Burnham how to deal with the Klingons. Mm-hmm. And the the solution he offers is, maybe I just didn't understand it, but he was like, shoot first. And I'm like, what good is shooting first going to do? Like, this is ridiculous. Like, and Burnham pushed it hard. He's like, we must shoot first. He's like, wait, you want to commit a, like, war crime? What? What? Why? And like, if if they're here to fight you, Regardless of shooting first, they're going to fight you. The Klingons aren't going to be like, well, you know, they didn't, they shot second, so I guess we should go home. It's like, what? This is a terrible idea. And the captain was right when she was kind of like, no, we don't shoot first. And Burnham's like, you're an idiot. And it's like, no, Burnham, you're the idiot. Don't shoot first. It really pissed me off. And I didn't didn't feel like it was explained very well, other than like Klingons like war, like be warlike in front of them that they respect you but sure their modus operandi was like we are going to like you know do Klingon this and you know take back the Klingon empire and all this jazz like they weren't gonna respect someone who showed warlike tendencies it was like well that's great and all but we're gonna take you down because we got a job to do here I didn't like that at all it made no sense um I agree Burnham was wrong uh I mean as the the show pretty clearly indicates uh, but I, I didn't think it was entirely ridiculous. Like it, it I, I felt it made sense. But why though? Like again, just uh, what, what, what does it gain for them? What do they gain by by firing first? They're they're showing strength, and they're showing will uh, right, but- a willingness to 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 engage in combat, and that's what Klingons respect. Right, but like. There's no evidence to suggest that the Klingons would, like, back down because of that. Oh, but No, but it, it, it wasn't about getting them to back down. Because, they knew, because the, as Wait, you so said, the, the ideal outcome was for them is always battle. So it wasn't about, like, dealing with this specific instance necessarily um, and, like, finding a non-violent or a peaceful solution to this instance because, in Burnham's eyes, that wasn't possible. So then she had accepted that. And so she was looking at the bigger picture, which was to deal with the Klingons as a culture, you have to demonstrate willingness for, for violence. And that's why we have to do it. But again, it, it okay, I see your point, but I don't see how that changes anything, even in the long term. Like if you demonstrate that you're willing to be violent, they will just scan you and be like, we are more powerful than them. Let's crush them. Like... The outcome is the same, whether you fire first or not. Well, not on a political level, as far as the, the Klingons are concerned. And that's that was like what the what the Vulcans did to gain to open diplomatic relations with the Klingons. They established themselves as formidable opponents and as worthy opponents, and as such were taken seriously and granted access to diplomacy. And you don't think being taken seriously could come from being particularly adept in battle. Like, battle starts, and then the Klingons are like, oh, we're pounding them, and it turns out they're not that easy to defeat. 
they must be great warriors as well. I don't I don't see the need for a preemptive strike, is what I'm saying. I get that, you know, Klingons like war. I just think you need to be good at the war in their presence, but that doesn't require a preemptive strike. Okay, but you're not you're not a Klingon. Like you're you're literally dealing with an alien psychology. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well that's 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 fair. I, I have no retort to that really. Uh, like it, it, this, that's what the, their culture does. Um, yeah, no, I'm, I, I well, I mean, I didn't have any particularly strong feelings. Um, uh, I I think I think Burnham, uh, God damn it, needs to learn discipline. Yeah, yeah, she does. <laughs> I mean, clearly, if you end up in prison, something's gone wrong. <laughs> um, I have uh, two points on clothing, or clothing and uh, props. Okay. Uh, number one, Trek still hasn't come up with a decent handheld weapon. Uh, I don't know why their prop department can't come up with something that looks cool. Their little phasers still look a bit stupid um and they could do with fixing that now again obviously you know it's a prequel so maybe you know technology hasn't evolved and all that sort of jazz there's the prequel thing but i still was kind of like can we just make a a handheld weapon that looks decent um and not like a toy and it didn't seem like they were able to do that and the other thing was and this is oh my god this build this really made it for me right they have decent footwear finally Finally, a trek where someone doesn't look like they're wearing black clogs. They look, they're wearing like decent looking footwear that fits with the rest of the uniform. I, I could not tell you how happy I was to see Burnham in the brig and then her, it looks like she was kind of wearing like runners or something, which I think is perfect. If you're running up and down the ship all the time, wear a shoe that can cater for that. Don't wear a suit shoe. This is stupid. Why would you do this? No one would do this. So good footwear was like, I'm not even joking. Maybe like 15% of the reason why I like this show is awesome. That's uh, not a thing I ever noticed in in Trek. Oh, okay. You need to go. You don't need to do it now, but when we're finished, go and Google the uniforms uh, and just it's particularly the next generation when <laughs> with their black suit shoes almost. And it's just weird. And the same, same things in Voyager. I can't remember the footwear in Enterprise, uh, but I don't think it'd be much better. And yeah, I think in the original series, the same thing. I think I remember Spock just wearing normal shoes and it just, it looks really stupid, especially if they're doing action-y stuff. It just, it looks stupid. But these, these uniforms and the footwear look like they're actually, let's consider what it's like to live on a spaceship and let's give them appropriate attire. And it worked. And I'm so thankful they did that. They just need to sort out their phasers. Um, and that is that. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I'm I'm pretty invested now in uh, Burnham's character and Burnham's story and her story arc. I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing what happens. I really like the the disgraced naval captain as or naval officer as a kind of device as a as a narrative device. So I'm I'm looking forward to seeing how it plays out. Agreed. That ending was amazing in the end of the second episode. I was like, this is, I want to come back for more. Do you have any speculation as to what might happen? I do not. Hmm. Do you not do this? Do you not speculate after cliffhangers and be like, oh, I wonder what, what's going to happen? Sometimes. Not this time. Uh, I, uh, I would like to see her go rogue, get busted out of there, go rogue, 
and set about uh, doing the right things, but in a maverick way. Like she becomes the captain, but maybe not of a USS ship. She becomes the captain of her own maverick renegade ship. And they they do great things. Like the story of kind of like one person changes the world. Like one ship changes the course of events in the galaxy. I think that would be a really cool thing. Mm. And it would completely subvert what we're used to in Trek. While still keeping everything samey-samey. Like we have a charismatic captain. We have a ship that we hopefully um, grow to love. We'll still have a crew member we grow to love. And if they still incorporate themes of humanism and discussing about how, you know, how to integrate various different life forms around the world, around the galaxy and things like that, then I think we have a classic Trek, but wrapped in an entirely new label. And that would be amazing. So Trek does Firefly. Trek does, yeah, Trek does Firefly in Mm. a way. I, I could see that being good but i don't think it will be very trek it all depends on what you think trek is again trek for me is just a a philosophical discussion about things however you want to wrap that up like wrap it up in some sort of space stuff and whatever doesn't make a difference but at some point i want to see i want to see someone bridge the gap between humans and Klingons. I want to see a Klingon empathize with a human and discuss cultural reasons for doing so and all this sort of thing. So I don't really care how the story goes in terms of like, is it dark or is it light or is it, do they go maverick or is it a standard plot? I don't mind. As long as the core thing of Trek is there. And that is for me, this humanist element. Others will be totally different. I think the maverick thing would kind of undercut some of what I've always kind of thought Trek to be about because Starfleet, or because the Federation is meant to be so kind of utopian that if they had to go outside the bounds of it to get the job done, it would kind of, I think, would go against some of what's been established about uh, the Federation and some of what, what the Federation is meant to be, philosophically speaking. Well, I mean, this is the thing where the prequel problem mm. is a benefit. It's like we, the, the Federation may not be fully formed. Yeah, and although I guess I guess they did that a bit in in some next generation stuff, didn't they? Did they? Like, uh, does doesn't does Picard kind of go a bit rogue once or twice? Does he? Like, in maybe a, it's in, in one a... of the films. Hold on, let me check. I think it's maybe it's one hmm. of the films. Um, give me fourteen seconds. Fourteen. Thirteen. 12, 11, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6. I think fifth, it's an insurrection. Oh, well, within 14 seconds, Bill. There you go. Um, possibly, I haven't seen the films, no idea. But uh, yeah, again, that's that doesn't bother me too much. But it, it goes to the point of like, what do you think Trek is? And as long as you don't subvert the core meaning, whatever that may be for a person, then I think we're on solid ground. Um, mm-hmm. It'll be different for everyone. Like if they do my version of what I, how I think it should go, I totally get that you'd be a bit like, mm, this isn't Trek, but at least I'll be happy. And that's really all that counts. Fair enough. Um, so just a, I suppose a little, I'm getting towards the end of my list here there's a couple of other things I want to point out 
Um, I thought when Burnham out Burnham outsmarts the Brig computer, I thought that that whole scene was stupid, um, and unnecessary. It's kind of like, wait a minute, you're smarter than the computer. Why do they have a computer then? Like, isn't the computer meant to be better than humans or Vulcans or whatever? That's the whole reason we made computers. And it's just, it's kind of like, you shouldn't be able to outsmart the computer. The computer should outsmart you. The computer should tell you uh, how to escape. It should be like, your probability of doing survival will be if you follow X, Y, and Z steps exactly. And Burnham would execute that adeptly. Yeah. And you could show how adept she is. As opposed to the computer being like, no. And Burnham goes, have a think about that. And the computer's like, processing. Okay, you are right. And it's like, ah, come on, lads. This is nonsense. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, so that that bit I didn't like. Uh, the other thing, I suppose this is one of the last things. Hold on. Uh, yeah, yeah. Last. This is the last thing on my list that is uh, pertinent to bring up: the hoarding of dead. The hoarding of dead Klingons. Mm-hmm. Is this canonical? Has this been seen before? I have no idea. Uh, this this. I don't know. I'm not entirely secure in saying that I think this is a departure from what Klingons do. Uh, part of me thinks that maybe I've seen this before. I don't know. But something felt weird about that. Like it's a whole new aspect of Klingon culture that they will yeah. make sure to stay behind and collect their dead. And then the tacking it onto the ship, I was like, this definitely hasn't happened before. Where where did this come from? Um, so just something to, to bring up there. Uh, I don't yeah. know. It's just, I, I That's found it another strange. kind of prequel problem. Um, yeah, you see, lots of prequel problems. Lots of prequel. But problems. I, I guess you could just kind of justify that uh, by saying, well, Klingons are an entire species. They probably have lots and lots of different uh, cultural ideas that don't. You know, not all of them do the same stuff. So this is just one we happen to not have come across before. I don't think that would be completely uh, jarring for me. I mean, that's fair. Takuvma clearly is a bit of an outlier in Klingon culture anyways. So I suppose yeah. how he goes about setting up his ship and how what his mm-hmm. war practices are maybe aren't indicative of the average Klingon. Yeah. Um, and because, you know, the thing was a thousand, you know, it was thousands of years old. Uh, so maybe it's it's a, an ancient thing that isn't really practiced that often anymore. And as part of his revitalizing the empire he's returning to to older stuff i mean that seems pretty clear um like trying to revitalize old glory um Hmm. okay so the 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 coffins were on the exterior of of his craft and Mm -hmm. they had like klingon biological material some of which was thousands of years old and some of which was hours old how do they accu- how do they accurately date that to be thousands of years old? Uh, can you can you carbon date these things? I would guess. Like, I mean, I suppose maybe, yeah. But I mean, you'd have to know if you go to a different uh, different planet that would have like different kind of carbon levels and stuff on it. That would throw it off. If you like go to Earth and you eat stuff here. And you absorb that carbon, and then you go to a different planet where they've got different levels of carbon fourteen, and mm. eat stuff there that would throw it off. And the, I mean, I, like a lot of the biological processes would be inhibited because you're in bloody space. Yeah, but also they I, they probably shot some sort of like uh, 
like depolarized neutrino wave at the thing and when that comes yeah, in yeah. contact with a short gamma burst then maybe it can tell you how old the bodies are you know yeah no, i know it's ridiculous it's silly to get like concerned about scientific accuracy and trick but that that that's just kind of like well it's in space you know they're just going to be frozen on in the coffin it's just not going to rot <laughs> yeah yeah that's fair oh yeah it won't really decompose that's true yeah exactly that's, that's, that's kind of what i was thinking oh yeah then my carbon 14 idea is, is nonsense because isn't the isn't the whole carbon dating a process of decomposing like mm, you, you i no not really no okay Okay, I thought it was kind of like you have X amount of carbon and as things decay and wear away, the level drops and you can see where you are on the curve by what amount is left over or something like that. Now, what do I You're know? Right. You're right, except that it's not to do with decay. It's not, it's not ah. to do with, with like, like the decay of the body. It's just the, well, it's decay. It's the nuclear decay of the, the carbon-14 atoms than their half-life. Wait. Bill, can you teach me about chemistry here for a second? Probably <laughs> the, not, but go ahead. We will give it a shot. Not all elements are radioactive, correct? Hashtag not all elements. Um, <laughs> I, I guess, I don't know. I mean, like, everything, everything has a half-life. Everything decays. Oh, that's what I was getting at. So everything decays, but having a half-life does not mean that you're radioactive. I, mean, I think no, radioactive no. is kind of like a matter of scale more than anything. Like it yes, is. that's it. In in trying to explain to you, I got it. To be radioactive, it's a rapid decay, like a rapid half life makes things yeah, radioactive. I think so. I think uh, okay, so. so but so everything on an infinite timeline, everything is radioactive. On an infinite timeline, nothing exists, only oblivion and Fight Club. Uh, get the reference? No. It was a poor reference, really, so I'm just going to put a period here and move on. Um, but, but yeah, yeah, so uh, it, they track the, the half-life, the, ra- the, the elemental decay of carbon. And because we're in... But if we're in... Hold on, Bill, now this is all coming out, right? If, if we're in space, mm-hmm. the, and it's not to do with decaying, the carbon will still go through its half-life thing. It'll still... Sure, but it's measured against it's measured against what the the normal ratio of carbon twelve to carbon fourteen is on Earth. I think right, um, uh, and so, okay. so you, like that kind of you you have a, a living body will have the same ratio as kind of the general ratio on Earth, and when you die, you stop accumulating more carbon fourteen, so it starts to to decay into towards carbon twelve. So I think it's like. The less carbon-14 you have, the longer you've been dead. Something like that. I don't have all the details right, but it is something like that. What do you call people who study this sort of thing? Uh, Radiocarbonographers, I believe it is. Radiocarbonographers. Does someone have a Wikipedia page open? Uh, no, I made it up. Like I don't know. Oh, <laughs> any, any, any radiocarbonographers in the, com- in the subreddit could let us know. Um, yeah. or we could google but i like talking to people on the sub so maybe let us know that way um but yeah yeah so that that's the end of my list bill overall i liked it there's a few funny points um there is a few things to make me fearful for the future in terms of how much action is going to be in it 
Um, but overall, I thought it was solid. And compared to some of the first episodes of other Trek series, I thought this was really good. Same. I enjoyed it. Cool. Uh, and for the listener, uh, we're not going to do like a weekly Trek now. Uh, it's not like every month there is going to be a handful of, of Trek episodes. It's just that this was the start. We thought it'd be cool to note it, seeing as I have talked at length about Trek in the past. Um, we couldn't let this opportunity go by. So uh, consider the one-off, once-off thing. Unless we're still live after this, after Discovery has ended and there's been another like 20-year gap and then another Trek start, in which case <laughs> there'll be a podcast then. <laughs> okay, so uh, yeah, any any closing thoughts or is that us? I think that's it. I think that's all I have to say. Cool. All right. Well, I will see you for a normal episode uh, in whatever two, two, three weeks. Two, whenever two or three weeks. Exactly. Sure so normal, normal follow up emails. We'll have done some world building, bit of green room nonsense, the standard episode. Uh, we will see you, the listeners, there, and I will see you, Bill, there. And until next time, Edgar, Edgar out. out.